Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello, uh, thank you, welcome, and uh, thank you for downloading another <laughs> Books of the Year smooth. podcast. Was that good? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just just thinking. Um, I would just like to welcome people, but do you, welcoming people to a podcast still seems like an odd. I mean, thing. they've downloaded it already, haven't they? You know, yeah, so, so, so but, but thanks for coming anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marina Hyde is uh, is with us still. I mean, uh, what just happened is is her new book, Dispatches from Turbulent Times. Um, do you want to do you want to describe the cover? Matt? I didn't because you that. didn't do that didn't last do that, time. We always, I? I always no. get Matt to describe the cover. Yeah. Marina, so. Okay, so it's mainly uh, a blue background, and then Marina uh, is sort of uh, bottom half of the front cover uh, in a red blouse. And uh, well, basically, her her expression is what just happened. Oh my goodness! Uh, hands to the temples. Uh, Marina Hyde in gold. What just happened in white? Dispatches from turbulent times. And then uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge with a, a sweary endorsement at the bottom for Marina Hyde. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which you can, which you can properly guess. Um, so, uh, Marina is here. This is the questionnaire, uh, Marina. So, uh, and you haven't seen the questions. So, this is you're just going to not seen the questions. But you... I'm terrible at deciding things. So, Fine. I want to apologise in advance to your listeners. But your answers can be as long as you like. Oh, you know, right, you, okay. you, it doesn't have to be cursory. Quick, uh, okay. Right, okay. Uh, what is the last book that you really, really enjoyed? Reading, obviously, not writing. I've just reread Cold Comfort Farm because I knew I'd really enjoy it. I've read a few books and on the bounce that I wasn't that into, so I thought I'll just I reread Cold Comfort Farm quite often. Why? I just think it's so brilliant. It's so sort of modern. I can't believe it was written 
you know, not so so far off a hundred years ago, I suppose. Really, it was thirties, um, and it just makes me laugh so much. You don't. It's so subtle. You don't quite realize what's happening. It's it's so close to what it's parodying that you don't realize it's a satire for a while. And I love the character is wonderful. And yes, I read it because I knew it was a banker. So was that like a nostalgic thing to make you feel better? Yes, because yeah, I've, I mean. Sometimes I just think, oh, God, I really need a funny book that will deliver. And it doesn't mention Jacob Rees-Mogg. That just doesn't mention, yeah, exactly. And um, I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of comic novels, I often do Woodhouse for that because Woodhouse, there's more jokes on one page of, you know, a Jeeves book than there is in most modern, you know, modern comic novels that (laughs) I'm afraid you might laugh out loud three times in the book if you're lucky. Whereas on this, you've got sort of three a page. Being able being able to write funny is so such, hard. In oh, it's so hard, and and obviously you nail it in the in, in the columns. But um, how how many books do you read for pleasure in a month? Sort of on average, because it sort of tends to vary. So I, I find around uh, this time of year, I am rattling through them, and then not so much in January, February. How how is it for you? Oh no, I, I read quite. I mean, if it's a novel, I'll read. You know, I'll read two a week. Um, but if it's um, if, like I'm, you know, if I'm doing a big biography of like Bismarck or Charles de Gaulle or something like that, one of those kind of nine hundred pages, then it takes me longer. But I, I mean, I just I go wherever I feel at the time, um, and so I'm always sort of going. So when when you're reading those biographies of Bismarck, yeah. etc., is that for work or is that is that? No, no, you... that's just for me for, yeah. to enjoy myself. No, I only ever read for, to enjoy myself. I really. If it's for work, I'll read it at my desk in the day. But I tend not to read. Everything, in a way, is for work, isn't it? I mean, even the children's books I read, my children feel like something, it sparks something in your brain and you end up writing, it ends up inspiring something because you're reading that, you know. And I, in a way, the books you read the most, people always say, you know, what book have you read the most? And you want to say it's something so obscure, but it's actually Spot like... Spot the dog. No, it's, good, it's Good Night Moon. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> I still have no idea what's really happening. And I spend a huge amount of time reading those children's books thinking... Okay, the one thing that hasn't happened is that a tiger has not come to tea. <laughs> what has actually happened here? And Where I've got like millions of theories. There are loads of fan theories for, that I have for these books. And I go back over them all the time. You know, is it really about the Nazis? It's really unclear. <laughs> but I really, you know, I love those books. I love, there's something sort of mesmeric about them and the way that you kind of drift off while you're reading, because you know the words so well for your children, that you're able to think, but what really, what is, who is the quiet old lady whispering hush in Goodnight Moon? Death. Yeah, it, <laughs> Exactly. That's one of my theories. Yeah, there's a lot of that. So I like, yeah, sorry. I know this is not very highbrow, is it? But let's be honest. I mean, I want to tell you I've read Paradise Lost as many times as Goodnight Moon, but it's not simply not possible. Is it true you're currently reading Nadine Dory's? I've read, I've recently read one of Nadine Dory's books, The Angels of Lovely Lane. And I actually found it quite fascinating because... I th- I thought she had. It's just generally not the type of book I normally read, which is not meant to sound snooty. I just don't normally read those kind of saga books. Um, she, but she had such a sort of compassion for her characters, and there was not a line in it really that I felt could be written by Nadine Doris, as in the persona we know from the politics, because she became very hard and incredibly adversarial. And I've seen her in rooms even with the party faithful, and she's she has she seems to there seems to have been a severance in her as a as a politician between the writer who is able to be very compassionate and the politician who kind of made herself very hard. And I thought that was really rather tragic because in a way her political backstory is better than anyone's. You know, she she was in the NHS, she worked as a nurse, she could say to anyone, I've washed out 10,000 bedpans, what have you done? She would kind of be unbeatable in lots of ways. But 
there seemed to be this she she must have divided herself and i wonder if uh, whether it's whether other women do that or whether you know she just couldn't there what i just don't see that kind of very compassionate thing that i saw in the book in her in her political persona i it's just not part of it deliberately clearly um and obviously she has been very, she's been a cabinet minister, whatever. But it's interesting that she wasn't able to sort of marry those two sides of herself up in one package because I think she would have got even further, I have to say, which is not what I felt I was going to say when I picked up her book. <laughs> would you read any more of hers? No, because I say I don't really read these kind of saga books. But, uh, you know, it was, I, I, but but I, I read it, to, I read it to the end. Uh, Je- uh, an email from Jen in South East London. Marina, I love your column and your writing. Thank you for keeping me sane over the last few years. I know your book has only just been published, but with uh, all that is going on, <laughs> is it now time for a second edition? I mean, it, the, the sheer amount of stuff I ended up leaving out of this book, because you forget how many things used to happen. Yes, you can very quickly... Some of these things, in the years before the turmoil really began, the true turmoil, the political turmoil. You know, these things would have... You'd have dined out on some of these stories for four weeks. You'd have made them last, you know. There were these stories that, you know, Tony Blair tried to muscle in on the Queen Mother's funeral, whatever that was. We had that one for about two months. It was nothing... If that had happened during these years, you wouldn't have even been talking about it because something else has happened by tea time. So there is a huge amount of raw material at the moment. And actually, it often worries me the amount of stuff we let fall by the wayside because there wasn't much time to cover it all. I wonder whether we'll go back and look at lots of things and see a whole other narrative that kind of in the way in that way that happened after the financial crisis where the fact that no one had been held accountable for what happened really stewed and stewed underneath the surface and we didn't talk about it in you know the news as it were if I can sort of summarize it that way and then it kind of exploded here and in America in in lots of the sort of you know, surprises of 2015, 2016 and onwards. And I think that it worries me always when we haven't had time to sort of catch our breath and see what has just happened. Is there a place where you, when you sit down tomorrow to write your column, do you always write it in the same place? Is there somewhere where you like to write? This is going to be the place where I write. No, and I very much, I always tell people, young people, that just be able to write anywhere. I can write on a train platform, I can write with my children playing around my feet. It is annoying. I don't like to, but, you know, we've all had to go through the lockdowns. Um, And I can, you can, I think, don't have circumstances that need to exist in order for you to write because you will just find a way. They they become ways of not writing. And, of course, you know, I'm not immune from this. It's very helpful having a deadline. I try and, I get up early in the morning, but I, I always send my column by midday. Always. So um, I write them really pretty quickly. But a lot, that, I'm very fortunate because I've been writing for many years and therefore it becomes much more of a knack. Um, and so people often ask about, you know, what if you can't think of anything to write? You just think, well, something something must fill the space. And, you, you you know, there are plenty, of course, when you think this is very substandard and I'm very disappointed in it. And I'm, as I say, I hate, hate most things I write, but you will fill the space. So, no, no circ- there are no circumstances that need to exist for me in which to write that. Uh, next, we have a question in the form of a voice note. Oh. Uh, this is from Sean Keaveney, who's, oh. a big, who's a big fan. Hello, Sean Keaveney here, broadcaster without portfolio. Um, <laughs> what to ask? Marina Hyde. Should have thought of this. <laughs> Somebody who you recording. really is, is sort of responsible, whether you like it or not, for illustrating everybody else's frustration with this 
clan car on fire of a government. Um, and you do it so, so well. We love it. We love it. We love it. We need more. No pressure. But I just wondered how you climb out of the headspace, um, the horrif- horrifying headspace of the dystopia, you know. I got to a point in COVID where I had to click off Radio 4 because it was just getting me down so much. And I ended up listening to Totally Radio 70s on the internet, <laughs> which is like an Australian yacht rock station. The only way that I could survive was by listening to things like 10cc and um, peter frampton show me the way on on sort of loopy repeat so i just it's probably a really facile question but i just wondered how you managed to step away or if you managed to step away from the madness and uh, you know what those escape hatches are for you Okay, before Marina answers that, can I just say there's nothing wrong with Liz, with playing 10cc no, and, Pete, there isn't. and Peter Frampton Four till all, seven. all the time because that's precisely <laughs> what I do. Um, but that's interesting, escape hatches. That, it's really, I have to say that a lot of people, a lot of people I know have turned off the news, and especially during COVID, exactly have gone through exactly what Sean, who I also love, um, I love you right back, Sean, what the, the things that he's had to do, a lot of people have taken steps to protect their mental health, as it were, in that way. I have to say that the fact, the act of writing the columns has been quite, dare I say, quite therapeutic, because in a way... I don't have unresolved news issues because you have to write it down. Don't therapists always tell you to write things down? And I think that my job is a sort of mandated writing things down. So I tend to write it and feel better at the end of it simply because you sort of have to work through it, as it were. And there's something about trying to think up a joke particularly that suits it, that has the tone right, that has whatever. And there is a sort of, when you sort of hit on it, you think, oh, okay, not that's brilliant, but that'll do, that, that works. And... The act of doing that is quite therapeutic and it is quite cathartic. So the the act of writing the columns has helped me with my news issues. So that is, so in a way, the, the column is the escape hatch. Yeah, oh, right. In a way, yeah. And I have to say that I never know what I'm going to write when I sit down to write, and I never know what I think about things. And it's I only know. I never start at the beginning. I don't have a through line that I'm going to begin with and like some conceit that I'm then going to advance and then tie it up in a bow at the end. I actually only realise about two thirds of the way moving it all around the page and think, oh, I see, that's what I think. And then that's why sometimes in my columns right at the end you get that needle scratch. <laughs> Here's the serious bit because I've worked out by then what I think. So the act of writing is the escape hatch. That's, I mean, it's so interesting. I, uh, we've um, had Lee Child on the sh- on the podcast a number of times, and he just sits down and writes, and doesn't have a plan beforehand. Just yeah. writes, and I'm so envious of that yeah. of being able to do uh, of being able to do that. A related question then to what we've just heard from Sean is: Is there a book you turn to that cheers you up? That you know, if you're feeling down, I'm going to have. 20 minutes reading this and it's going to be a blast. Well, I tell you what, then I would go back to what I said earlier, which is Woodhouse. Even if you're just going to dip in and open any single page, you can. if you've got 20 minutes, open it up and read 20 pages and you'll you'll just think this is a sort of... It's it's The writing is so tight. There are funny books. There's funny things. Like the first, I don't know, 20 pages of um, Brett Easton Ellis. Which one am I thinking of? Why has it gone right out of my head? American Psycho. No, but you, that, although very good. The first 20 pages of um, the one that came after Glamorama. 
Imperial no, before and between Glamorama and Imperial Bedrooms, what the hell has happened there? But it's so far, it's a sort of riff on himself, really. Um, you know, the one where it's like a sort of homage to a sort of Stephen King novel, really. Um, it's so brilliant. And I can't believe I've forgotten it. You see well, that? Joe, this the producer, is me. now online. and he's <laughs> between he... Glamorama and, and Imperial Bedrooms. Okay. Um, I'm going to come up with an Luna answer. Park. My God, thank God I thought of it because otherwise I would get really Luna worried. Park. I'm losing my mind. Yeah, Luna Park. The first 20 pages of that are so kind of like a jewel. They're so brilliantly written. There's a quite a lot of sort of intros to books that I'll read that make me sort of howl with laughter. Julian Fellows snobs the first sort of 50 pages, just a complete howl. Um, and there's lots of sort of weird things like that that I'll go and read them again because I've only got a little bit of time and you'll just think that's pretty well done. <laughs> Final question. If we were in your house, but not in a creepy way, and we could see your... <laughs> let's put it, phrase it differently. If you sent us a photographs of your bookshelves oh, and how you arranged all your books, what, what would we see? Okay. I want to say now I'm like a hostage to a bad... I, I, my husband's done our bookshelves. There are some things by different authors in different rooms. He's gaslighting me. It is a form <laughs> of gaslighting. It's so ridiculous. It's like there's, this is not the Dewey Decimal. This is no system. This is a system designed to send a human completely mad. And I don't know where a lot of my books are. And, you know, anyway, so that's that's just a point about him. Um there's lots of there's huge amounts of books about old Hollywood, huge amounts of books and Bismarck. Uh, yeah, Bismarck. Yeah, there's lots of historical biographies, a lot of books about or lots of books. All of my books have got turned over pages because then I will remember something, and then I'll think when I come back to that book, there'll only be about fifteen pages of each book will be turned down, and I'll think I know it was in that book, so I'll go and find it, and then I'll find the line, and it will be a something about Louis B. Mayer or something about Metro Goldwyn Mayer in the 1930s, and I'll think there's that brilliant line. Um, Louis B. Mayer was the best actor on the Metro lot or whatever, it, you know, and think that's great. Um, and I'll remember that it's come somewhere in that book. So, all so it's of them chaos, have, is it? It's chaos, I suppose. But I, I, I know my system within the books, but his system of where he's put the books is really a, like a form of terrorism, <laughs> I believe. And if, if you were able to arrange them alphabetically by author, which author would we see more books by than anyone else? Oh, well, the Shakespeare section takes up an unbelievable, because I, I have them all in ones, because I like to make notes on them. I mean, the Shakespeare section is several feet of bookshelf. I've probably got, I've probably got six or seven feet of Shakespeare stuff alone. That's an interesting way of making it. Six or seven foot of Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> I can do six or seven foot. Two before be six feet of William Shakespeare. Excellent. Very good. Uh, Marina, thank you very much. Uh, Marina's book, if you'd like to hear it, uh, is what just happened. If you'd like to hear a talk about that and some of the columns, that's in our companion podcast, where you've got this one. You've probably heard it already, but Marina, anyway, thank you very much. Thanks so much, thank guys. Thank you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have many episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, 
or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>